So bear with me because uh, after the first service uh, and I preached the sermon, um, I was praying and the Lord said, yeah, we're going to scrap that one. So I have no idea what's about to happen. We're going to trust the Lord. Uh, I think there are pieces of what I said in the first service, but we're going to go a completely different road, all right? You with me? It's like off-roading. There's no path. But what we're doing is we're preaching our life. Well, you're not preaching. I'm preaching, all right? So we are studying Nehemiah. It's this weird book in the Old Testament where the city of Jerusalem, uh, this city was overrun by the Babylonians, and then the Babylonians were overrun by the Assyrians or the Persians. And then the Persians were in control of everything. And one of the guys that worked for the Persian king was a guy named Nehemiah. And Nehemiah was given an opportunity to go back to rebuild this city. And the reason we're studying this, because it is a book about leadership, it's a book about fulfilling God's purpose for our lives, it's a book about how do we, like Nehemiah, discover the unique purpose that God has created for you, and then how do we go about, once we've discovered that, living it with passion and courage and character and divine purpose. And we've been talking about that for the last eight weeks or so. And uh, so we've come to the very end of this book. Nehemiah has rebuilt the wall. He's rebuilt the gates. Everybody's returned back. The temple that's in the middle of Jerusalem now is rebuilt. They're all worshiping. They're all repenting. They're all doing that kind of stuff you do at church. And now we've come to almost the last chapter because this last chapter is about a party. And it's about a party where they're about to dedicate everything that they did when they rebuilt it. Are you with me? Okay, that may be the only sane thing you hear for the next 30 minutes, except for the fact that here's what's insane. John, Markham's going to come up, and he's going to read this passage. This has so many Old Testament names in it. The fact that he volunteered to do this should make you question his sanity, all right? But I didn't volunteer for this one. John, you didn't? Wow, all right. I love that I have that power in your life. So Nehemiah chapter 12, and he's going to start reading in verse 27. And any word you cannot pronounce, just say Bert. <laughs> At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. The musicians were, all, were brought together from the region around Jerusalem, from the villages of Netophathites, from Beth Gilgal, and from the area of Geba and Asmaveth. For the musicians had built villages for themselves around Jerusalem. When the priests and Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people, the gates, and the wall. I had the leaders of Judah go up on top of the wall. I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. One was to proceed on top of the wall to the right toward the dung gate. Hoshiah and half the leaders of Judah followed them, along with Azariah, Ezra, Meshalam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, Jeremiah, as well as some of the priests with trumpets, and also Zechariah, son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Mataniah, the son of Micaiah, the son of Zachor, the son of Asaph, and his associates, Shemaiah, Azarel, Milalai, Gilalai, Ma'ai, Nethanel, Judah, and Hanani. With music. Just stop. Uh, take a breath, bro. We are not worthy. Keep going. Yeah. yeah. 
With musical instruments prescribed by David, the man of God, Ezra, the teacher of the law, led the procession. At the fountain gate, they continued directly up the steps of the city of David on the ascent to the wall and passed above the site of David's palace to the water gate on the east. The second choir proceeded in the opposite direction. I followed them on top of the wall together with half the people, past the tower of the ovens to the broad wall, over the gate of Ephraim, the, the Jashana gate, the fish gate, the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred. As far as the sheep gate, at the gate of the guard, they stopped. The two choirs that gave thanks then took their places in the house of God. So did I, together with half the officials, as well as the priests, Eliakim, Maasiah, Minyamin, Micaiah, Elioni, Zechariah, and Hanani with their trumpets, and also Maasiah, Shemaiah, Eleazar, Uzi, Jehohanan, Malkijai, Elam, and Azar. The choir sang under the direction of Jezrahiah, and on that day they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. That's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It was none of y'all reading, right? <clears throat> so here's what we're going to try to do. Um, I'm going to try to give you what I think the Lord has given me, and then we're going to jump back into worship, okay? Um, so let me paint the picture here for you, because uh, it's, this whole passage starts with, this is a dedicated, this is a dedication service for the Lord for this city. And so they gathered all the Levites together, and the Levites were the tribe of Israel that God had set apart that y'all are, your whole job is to take care of the temple. Your whole job is to run the temple, equip it. So it set all the Levites, that gathered all of them together and said, we're gonna have this big celebration. There were songs, there were thanksgivings, they went and got all the musicians, and the musicians all came together. And what's interesting in verse 29, I love this, it said that if you look at your scriptures, it says, for the musicians had built villages for themselves around Jerusalem. And I laughed when I read that because I said, that's just like musicians to do that. Like, they probably called it East Nashville, you know? <laughs> but then all the priests had to purify themselves, and that's a whole process that they went through before this all began. Then there were two large choirs, and they all gathered up on the wall. So Ezra is over here, and Nehemiah is over here. Ezra is the prophet, Nehemiah is the governor. And they've got these huge crowds behind them, and they're about to march the wall. So, like, I won't show it to you, but like Ezra is going this way and behind the choir are all these people. And you have to ask, who are these people? You couldn't get everybody in Jerusalem on the wall. So there were certain people that got on the wall and certain people that didn't get on the wall. But this huge crowd is going this way singing. And another huge crowd is going this way singing. And then when they walk all the way around Jerusalem singing, they end up at the gate of the guard at the very tip of Jerusalem. And now they're all singing. It's just this profound moment. And everybody in the city is singing. And you could hear it from afar. It was so loud. Beautiful. Just a beautiful celebration. Why are they dedicating that to God? You heard all the names that John read. Nehemiah listed them all. Shouldn't the dedication be to them? Shouldn't the dedication be to all the people that worked hard to put bricks in the wall? All the people that worked hard to get the, wall, the gates rebuilt? Why didn't the praise go to the choir? 
Like, come on, have you ever been in a choir? Whoop, whoop. What is going on here? Why is Nehemiah saying, we're going to dedicate all our work to the Lord? And let me just say this. Because it's so easy to dedicate it to us. It is so profoundly easy to dedicate my life to me. And let me tell you why it's so easy to do that. When Jesus comes into your life, if you've not had this experience, let me talk to you, okay? For those of us that know this Jesus that I'm about to talk about, when he comes into your life, scripture uses this language that we get when it says, you were dead and now you're alive. We go, oh yeah, yeah, I know that. That I was lost, but now I'm found. I was not, but now I am. I didn't belong, but now I belong. I was an orphan, and now I'm part of the family. I was not blessed, and boy, now I am blessed upon blessed upon blessed upon blessed. Because when Jesus moves into your life, he doesn't just remove your sins. I mean, that's the first thing he does. And we can't stop at the cross because we have to remember Jesus rose again from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, we rose with him to newness of life. And you know what that means? The Holy Spirit dwells in us. We've now become the temple of the living God. We are the new Jerusalem. That is us. And when the Holy Spirit moves in our lives, he does not move in alone. He brings gifts upon gifts upon gifts. And when he gives us gifts and he gives us his presence and he gives us his power, our lives become glorious. It's true. I mean, I hate to tell you this. Some of you, scripture says that this light of the Holy Spirit in you is so bright, you can't turn it off. The only thing you can do is hide it. He says, but we are a light that we should be a city on a hill that when we shine that all men would see us. That's how glorious God's glory in you is if you're a believer of Jesus Christ. And when you're that glorious and you're that beautiful and you're that gifted and you're that powerful and you're that rich and you're that hopeful, it is easy to do this. (laughs) I am something. I dedicate this to me. It's easy. Some of you are amazing musicians. You sing a song in the crowd. It's so easy to go, yeah, I know, I'm good. I know, I would join you in applauding me. Because it feeds something inside of us that we so hunger for awe. We hunger for awe and we hunger to be awe-filled. We hunger for glory, and we hunger to be glorious. And there's a huge temptation when the Lord rebuilds the city of our lives, which he does, and we see it, it's so tempting to go, oh yeah, this is about me. And the Lord says, no, slow down. Me. And here's what's crazy. Do you know that there is going to come a day, Scripture talks about the day that we're going to stand before the Lord, and we're going to tell our story. We're going to, we're going to, everybody's going to see it. We're going to tell our story. And we're not just going to tell the story of all the good things that you see. We're also going to tell the story of our failures. And in Jude, it says when we do this, in Jude, it says we will be filled with great joy. And for the longest time in my spiritual life, I'm saying, there's no way. Like, you want me to tell my whole story in front of all of you with great joy? It ain't going to happen. It's going to be with great shame. Unless when we tell our story, we start to get brutally honest, maybe for, for, for the first time in all of eternity, some of you will get brutally honest about your brokenness, 
And when you say, oh yeah, and then I stumbled sexually there, and he covered it by his blood, and the crowd would go, Jesus is awesome. And then I did more things that you wouldn't believe, but he covered it with his blood. Like that day when we stand before his throne, all the glory is going to him. Every bit of the glory is going to Jesus for what he has done. He has taken a broken, dead city, and he has made us alive. And he is inviting us into the glory of his goodness and saying, live in this place. When we started Midtown, I'd never read a book on church planning. I, I wasn't even ordained pastor. The Lord just said, this, go. And so we went, and we started meeting in this music venue downtown. And the Lord, I remember him telling me we were praying. Our community was praying. And the Lord said, I'm going to do something here, and there's one thing I want you to do. Yes, Lord. Don't ever take credit for it. Because I love taking the simple things and the broken things and the things that are not, and I'm going to do things that the world will go, how did that happen? And the Lord will say, yeah, right here. Glory, glory. And the more I glorify the Lord, the more it's good for me. I know that's crazy, isn't it? We don't have time to talk about that. But I'm inviting you, Midtown, if you know Jesus, this is the moment when Jesus is going to take you out to grasp his vision for your life, and you're going to go out as a leader, and you're going to start by faith, starting to walk in this way of going, I know his vision's for my life. Let's go, Jesus, let's go. And things that are glorious are going to start happening in your life, and I'm going to tell you, be careful that you don't take glory for it, that your life is constantly going, it's him, it's him, it's him, it's him. How do we do that? Well, there are two things in this passage I just want to say that they did. They celebrated and they were thankful. And I want to ask you to do those two things. How do you celebrate in your life? Do you celebrate? Like, are you a celebrator? Do you do that? Like, what does it look like? Does it look like, you know, I don't know, do you? balloons? Like, does it look like cards? Like, are you a quiet celebrator? Are you a loud celebrator? Well, let me ask you a better question. What do you celebrate? Because I, I want to make, let me put this out there. It's not biblical, but I think it's true. What you celebrate is what you really value in your life. What you celebrate, you really value in your life. What you take time, energy, money, and heart to celebrate is what you really love. So what do you celebrate? And then when you find those celebrations, how do you celebrate? Because I'll tell you that throughout scripture, we right here, we have Nehemiah, we have this grand celebration, but we see that throughout the entire Old Testament with the Lord saying, we're gonna have regular festivals on the calendar and y'all are gonna come together and you're gonna celebrate. We even do it here at Midtown. We do the Lord's Supper every month. We celebrate. We do sacraments of baptism. This is a celebration of little Annie. And the Lord is growing our numbers with beautiful children. It's a celebration. And I want to suggest to you that if you have the Holy Spirit doing something in your life that is profound, you better get serious about not spontaneous celebration, but the discipline of celebration. Let me try to explain the two. Spontaneous celebration of those moments where, you know, you yay, you know, and yeah, we celebrate. I'm talking about the discipline that your life is a continual life of celebration. Okay. Go back to the passage. There's a lot going on here. 
but there's nothing going on here that was spontaneous. Have any of y'all ever been in a choir? Is that spontaneous? I've never been in a choir, but I'm, I'm guessing that it had a choir director. I'm guessing that that person had to get everybody together. I'm guessing that person had to assign different parts to different people. I'm guessing that there had to be like, they were handing out like scrolls, like, you know, because they didn't have song sheets, you know? That was kind of funny, wasn't it? <laughs> See how bad spontaneity is? So they were planning it. And so they, they got the choirs together and then it wasn't just the choirs that they got together. Then they had to decide who's gonna march behind the choirs. Like who said yes, no, yes, no. Somebody did, somebody's scribbling down, you know, Bert, you know, he did that gate. I think we really need to put him on the wall. I think it means a lot to him. And you remember like somebody made that decision, right? And then we go on and we go like all the purification. If we had time this morning to talk about how a priest would purify themselves for special ceremonies, this was no slow thing. This involved a lot of water. Who brought the water? This, brought, this meant a lot of new linen clothing. Who made the linen clothing? Who brought the linen clothing? Who served the priest as they were going through this purification process? This isn't spontaneous. And then the gathering of the Levites and the musicians. I would have loved to have been there when they said, okay, who's gonna go to the village where the musicians live and tell them what they're gonna play? I would have loved to have been there when that guy showed up in the village and said, yeah, all right, guys, okay. I know that y'all have been doing a lot of jazz stuff, but we're gonna do something classical. And like, that took time. It took relational skill. It took putting a band together. It took the kind of work that you have to do to create excellence, right? You know that's what you're doing right now. You know that? You, you think this band just showed up 10 minutes before you got here? Do you think that these instruments just appeared here? No. Do you think that the temperature is the temperature it is by accident? No, there was planning. There's planning to do something. What is it planning to do? To help you celebrate. And why do we care about you celebrating? Because celebrating puts my dedication in the right place. And when I put my dedication in the right place, what happens? Good. His glory is good for me. And so we celebrate here. And when we come together, Kevin and I talk about this all the time. We are fighting for your heart. We are fighting hard for your heart. Like, honestly, I'm telling you, here are some of our values when you walk through the door. One is, is that you would have the courage to come into this room honestly. I mean, like, honestly. I mean, I grew up in a church where you left your real self out in the parking lot in your car, and then you brought your church self into the church. And, you know, you did the, you know, the whole church thing. How you doing? Great, great, doing good. And then you went back out to your car and put your real self back on. We pray that you would come honestly, that you'd bring your real self. If you're angry at God, bring it. That's the best thing you can bring in here. If you don't believe in God, bring it. That's the best thing you can bring in here. If you have doubts, bring it. If you're sad, bring it. If you're happy, bring it. If you're fulfilled, bring it. If you're fighting with your spouse, bring it. Why? Because the Lord wants us. He has no interest in the imposter. None whatsoever. He is bringing glory to the real you, not to the fake you that you're trying to get everybody else to believe in. Amen. 
And so I, I, we pray you would bring your real self in here. And here's going to blow your mind. God can handle it. He can handle it. In fact, that broken wall in your village or your city of your life, that's where Jesus wants to bring restoration. In fact, your greatest need may be the place of his greatest display of glory. And if I'm staying away from my greatest need, I'm staying away from his glory. And the Lord says, bring it. We fight for that. But we also ask you, hey, engage. Don't just bring yourself, but engage. And what I mean by engage, I don't mean like singing, because some of you, you shouldn't sing. No, no. Some of you will never make the choir. I get it, but that's not what I mean. What I mean is some of you, your hearts are in a place where you cannot lift your voice and you need to be sung to. And that's good. And some of you, your heart's in a place where, where you're singing from your heart and some of you need to sing to your heart. And some of you are in a place that's so hard that you just need to sit there and let the body of Christ sing over you and lift you. That's good. That's engagement. That's coming in here with even that much expectancy that God's going to show up. And when he does, the third thing we pray is that you would do this right here. Ah, this is it. That you would come and bring your real self, that you would engage what's going on, and you would have the courage to receive what Jesus wants to give you. That's all faith is. Faith simply is the courage to receive the gifts of God. That's it. And when he speaks... Here's what we often do. That's not the Lord. Ah, uh, yeah. What'd you get out of church this morning? I don't know. He t- told a good joke. I kind of laughed. It was great. No, no, no. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you right now? How is he ministering to you? Will you receive it? Celebration of him. Dedication of him brings us in here like that. And then the last thing, and I'll conclude with this because we're going to get back to worship. We don't just celebrate. All throughout this passage, they're thankful. They're thankful. They're thankful. They're thankful. They're thankful. And this isn't where I tell you, you should be a better thanker. This is where I'm inviting you into the discipline of thankfulness because it changes our lives. Because here's what thankfulness does. Thankfulness slows me down and then turns me around. Let me say it again. Thankfulness slows me down and then turns me around. Because what am I doing when I'm being thankful? I'm remembering. I'm remembering what has happened to this point that I'm looking for the divine hand of God in my life to where I can go, there it is, there it is, there it is. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You've heard it said what Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. That's what thankfulness is, is I'm looking back over my story and I'm looking for the divine hand of God where he's been rebuilding the wall of my life and filling me with glory and I'm giving him the praise. It's me slowing down and have the discipline to stop and turn around, which you have to stop and have time for this or you'll never do it. Do you know in this passage, they never say who they're, what the thankful words are. They never go, and we're thankful for this, and we're thankful for, you know, Earl making that mud that built the wall, and we're really thankful for Susan. She made the Kool-Aid that we had every afternoon. Like this. <laughs> because Scripture doesn't say that we can really make up anything, I like to think that they were uh, very thankful for Hananiah. 
And you probably don't know who that is. But in chapter one and verse two, Nehemiah is the cupbearer of the king. That means he was the wine taster for the, for the most powerful king in the world, which meant he was sipping some seriously good wine. And his life was pretty easy. All he had to do was drink wine all day. A sweet gig. And then Hananiah, his little brother, comes rolling into town. And they're coming from Judah, him and his buds. And they're coming in to get a couple of cases of Nehemiah's sweet wine so they can take it on their road trip. And as they're talking, Hananiah goes, yeah, you wouldn't believe what's happening over in Jerusalem. And Nehemiah goes, what? And he goes, yeah, man, the walls are torn down. The gates are gone. They're in trouble. All the refugees that are coming back, they're all going to die. They're all going to die. Hey, give me that other case of wine. And Nehemiah wept. Divinely, in God's story, he routed Hananiah through the, king, the, the king's courtyards into the, the dwelling place of Nehemiah to tell the story of Jerusalem. And, and through that, he moved the heart of Nehemiah and used him to go rebuild a city. And you know what that city is? The city is the foundation of the promises of God to you that we're going to talk about during our Advent for the next four weeks. Will you slow down enough to see the divine story in your life? It might help you put dedication back in the right place. Yesterday, uh, Renee and I, my wife, we went to a funeral. Um, it was a funeral of a 29-year-old man. Uh, he was the son of one of my good friends. And um, we've, known, we've known this family since their little boy. Well, he's not a little boy. He's a grown man. When he was born, we held him in the hospital. And he got leukemia about a year and a half ago. And he died last week. And, you know, we've lost our son. And so we went with great grief and sorrow and compassion to be with our friends. Um, and we go, and I want to tell you about this funeral. Because the funeral started with pictures on the screen of Lucas's life. And this band was playing something really beautiful. And some of the pictures, uh, they jumped all over the place. Lucas got married three years ago. So some of the pictures are of his wedding and his wife. And some are when he was two years old and he was pulling his sister's hair. And, you know, some made you laugh and some made you cry. And some, you could hear the whole room kind of gasp. And then there were the pictures of him losing all his hair and him in the hospital. And just, it began to tell the story of his life. And after that was over, um, some people came up to speak, like normally happens at a funeral, and they began to tell the story of Lucas's life. What were they doing? They were pausing to turn around, slowing down and turn around to look back and go, and here's what they did. Let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. We were celebrating what the Lord had done in his life, and we were thankful. You know, the Jewish culture in the Old Testament, they thought about the past and the future different than us. Like, when we think about the future, we think about it in, in front of us, and we think about the past behind us. But the words used in Hebrew are different. In Hebrew, the word for future means behind, and the word for past means in front. 
And the reason they did that is because they wanted to keep looking in the past to see the faithfulness of God and with that knowledge back into the future. That's what happened yesterday at that funeral. Celebration, lots of celebration, lots of laughter, lots of sadness, and lots of thankfulness that he blessed all of us for 29 years. And then you know what we did? We worshiped. Because what we were saying is, not to us, to you. You are the glory maker. You are the one that gives life. You are the one in my life that's worthy of lifting up. All of this, all goes to you. So as you go out, people, and y'all are beautiful people, as you go out and you start living this dynamic life, you are gonna create like glory bombs everywhere you go. And it's gonna be so tempting for all of us to step back and go, you are amazing. And for you to go, yes. And I'm just saying, hey, celebrate him. Lift him up. Give him thanks. Keep the glory in the right place. Lord, as we stop now to celebrate, as we stop now to give you thanks, as we stop now to worship, wherever we are, let us bring our whole selves. Wherever we may be, in moments of celebration or profound moments of defeat. Would we be very present with you right now? Would we be engaged? And Lord, would you give us courage now? Because we need faith to receive what you're about to give us. Because I know you're working in here, Holy Spirit. You're doing something in this room, Holy Spirit. And we trust you, Holy Spirit. Now come and give us courage to receive all that you have for us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.